there's many, many things that I could actually share. And it's always a little bit of a, okay, Lord, I want to share what is the right thing for today, for the house, for you. Um, but there's so many things that go through my mind. I just want to... I keep thinking about a verse in uh, Psalm 139. A few verses, actually. And it, it follows on from what Adam was saying about, about God. He's everywhere. He is actually everywhere. There's no way you can be without him being there. There's no, there's no shadows, there's no cracks, there's no places that he isn't. He's everywhere. Everywhere. Um, and he sees your thoughts. He knows your thoughts. And I was just thinking about, he's, he knows our thoughts are far off. And I, I just want us to just take a moment. I just want to pray into the thoughts that you may be having right now. And I want to pray the peace of Jesus right in there. So, Father, we want to thank you, Lord, that you see us afar off. You know the thoughts that we think before we even think them, Father. But, Lord, right now, Father, I just pray into any minds that are racing, Father, any minds that are struggling, Father, with difficult, challenging thoughts, and we just release, Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we release the presence of the Holy Spirit, Father, to come and rest in our minds right now, Father. And we say, yes, please, Lord. We need your calm, Lord, in our conscience and in our subconscious. We need calm, Father. And we ask that you would just Travel deeply into our conscience right now, Father. And bring peace, Father. Peace and calm, Lord. And Father, dark thoughts, Lord. Suicidal thoughts, dark thoughts, Father. Right now, Father, we just want to identify them, Father, and we want to hand them to you, Jesus. We say we don't want those thoughts, not anywhere in our minds, Lord. Nowhere, Father. And we just hand it over to you, Jesus. And we say, we're so sorry, Lord, if we have thought dark thoughts about ourselves, Father. We just say, we're so sorry, Father. We thank you for our life, Lord, that you gave us life. And we are not a coincidence, Lord. We are not a mistake, Father. You knew that we would be here right now. So, Father, that peace, we just give it in the name of Jesus. And we receive it, Father, in Jesus' name as well. Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Very good. Sometimes it's a beautiful thing that we can praise God. It's a beautiful thing that we worship him. He loves that. He loves it. But 
I, was, I, I had a, a vision of a, a surgeon who was operating uh, on someone's heart. And then I had a vision of an orchestra. And sometimes, in the midst of it all, you have to dial it all back and just listen for that voice. You have to listen for that voice because he's the answer to everything. You just have to dial it back. You just have to get a hold of it and dial it back and just go, okay, Jesus, the fire, the, the, the rain, the storm, the wind, you're in it all. But I just want to hear that, that voice that is the answer to the problem. There's an answer to every problem. And we have to somehow just, sometimes we just have to reel it in just slightly and go, is that an oboe that I can hear? Is it a clarinet that I can hear? What is that that's just there? But it's exciting. This, this life with Jesus is a beautiful, exciting thing. It's so exciting. It's so amazing to... To be part of it, but to observe it. Because when you're part of it, you're observing it, really. It's, it's like he's speaking and you're observing what he's doing. And he might even be speaking through you. He might even be using you. But in one way, you're observing what he's actually doing. And it's a beautiful thing. Because you can learn so much about yourself, about everybody. It's a beautiful thing. And, and we need, all of us need to be schooled in the spirit because he's not like us. I don't, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, because he, he loves us and he sees us, he knows us, but he's just, he just does things in a different way. And, and he just wants us to be in what he's doing. Sorry, I'm mumbling anyway. I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going I'm to um, talk about waiting patiently. Brings a harvest. Because waiting is not, is not easy, is it? Sometimes you get sick and tired of waiting. Anyone get sick and tired of waiting? Okay, well, let's just have a look at these verses here. James, let's go to James in chapter 5. I think you'll see that I'm going to be very calm today. I'm not going to sweat. I'm just speaking this as a, as a hopeful word. <laughs> Um, James 5. Is it James 5? No, that's John. James chapter 5. Now, there's an awful lot going on, and we've we looked at these words before, but I, w- I want to read the, in the context of what James is talking about. This is what he says from cha- cha- uh, chapter 5, verse 1. He says, now come, come now, you rich, and weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. 
You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the just. He does not resist you. And then this is what he says. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand and do not grumble against one another. Uh, and he goes on. But I mean, if you ever saw any verses that were written for right now, the first six verses, the first five verses are written for right now, believe me. The time that we live in, the age in which we live, this describes what is going on in the world in many, many quarters. I mean, just, just, just think about these. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, the ones that did the work, the laborers, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And he, he, he goes on, he, he says, you have condemned, you have murdered the just, and he does not resist you. What an incredible verse. When you think about what goes on in the world and what happens... But, but it's as though James is going, okay, well, in this context, you are all living. You are all part of this life. And he speaks into this and he goes, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. And of course, I've talked about this before, but that sounds like an awful long time, doesn't it? Until the coming of the Lord. Because when we think about the coming of the Lord, we think about trumpets and great shouts from heaven and, and the coming of Jesus, like the end of the age or something. But this is not what James is referring to at all. He's not talking about the end of the age. And even if he is, he's experienced something different himself. Um, because you remember that Peter, James and John went up onto the mountain of transfiguration. And Jesus, the man Jesus, was transfigured before their eyes. In other words, something took place on the mountain and Jesus was not only the Son of Man, but he was the Son of God. And they saw him in his glory. It was a visitation, if you want, of Jesus, not only as the Son of Man, but as the Son of God in all his glory. And Peter, writing about that, and you can put this, can you put this up, Josh, for me? In 2 Peter, chapter 2 and verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 and 16. No, that can't be right. 2 Peter, let me just have a look. 2 Peter, chapter 2. Uh, let's have a look. Oh, chapter 1, sorry. 2 Peter, chapter 1, and verse... 16 and onwards. Just, just put those verses up so everyone can see it. So, so this, is, this is Peter talking about the time that him, Peter, James and John were up the mountain and Jesus, their man Jesus, was transfigured and became the glorious Son of God in front of their eyes. And, and Peter writes about it later and this is what he says. Uh, no, not that. Uh, two. Did I say one Peter? I meant two Peter, sorry. 2 Peter 1, verse 16. Sorry, Josh, I'm messing you around. Um, and it says there, I'll, it'll come up in a minute. 
For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses to his majesty. You understand me? So, so Peter is talking about the transfiguration. He's saying that Jesus was transfigured in front of them, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, but you notice that phrase there, the coming, the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's what James is talking about. He's not talking about when there's going to be a trumpet blast uh, on the last day. He's not saying to everybody, listen, it's all right, just be patient because... When the big trumpet blast comes, you're going to get a reward. He's not saying that. He's not saying that at all. He's saying that Jesus, the Son of Man, often becomes the Son of Man, the Son of God, transfigured in the earth whenever he wants. And he does this often. Jesus does this often. The coming and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Honestly, I see him often intervening in things that are absolutely incredible. It's Jesus. It's not me. It's not anybody in the room. It's Jesus. Jesus just came and did something. Do you understand me? So, so James, when he's talking about these things, he's not going, look, lads, girls and boys, just be as patient as you can because one day Jesus is going to come, there's going to be a trumpet blast and everything's going to be sorted. No, he's not saying that. Come on. Give me a break. He's going, no, listen. I remember when Jesus on the mountain transfigured himself and we saw him. There he was, right in front of us. Jesus does that again and again on the earth today. Again and again. I can tell you. I have stories where I can tell you that Jesus has done this again and again and again. Incredible. It's not. James is wanting us to know that there is a wait. There's always a wait. You have to wait. Sometimes you have to wait because we've become, we've become a people that want everything all at once. But sometimes we have to wait because in the wait there are lessons to learn. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you about ten that are really brilliant, honestly. Ten that I've thought about over the years that I just think, Lord, is this why I had to wait? Is this what you were doing? I couldn't see it at the time because I wanted it right now. But Jesus is going, no, no. In the way, there is something that goes on, not only in you, but something that happens around you that enables me to show you and reveal you to you the truth about what's going on. Yeah. Um, I wonder how many people have been... Um, have walked into a disastrous relationship or a disastrous partnership... A disastrous business because they got excited and enthusiastic about something and went, this has to happen now. And they did it now. And because they did it now, they had no chance, they had no, they had no ability to allow God to reveal what really was going on in them and in other people and other situations. So, this is what he says. Let's uh, keep you. Where were we? John, uh, J James chapter 5. He says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. In other words, until Jesus 
transfigures himself for you until he comes to the mountain, until he meets with you and visits you and changes the situation. Be patient until that moment because he's coming. He's going to come into your situation, but just be patient. He says, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. What are we waiting for? Precious fruit. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for fruit. That's why you're waiting. You have to say it to yourself, I'm waiting for fruit. But of course, that's the other thing. If you don't sow anything, you can't harvest anything. Do you understand me? A, a farmer waits for the fruit because he's sown a seed. If you don't sow a seed, you're not going to get a harvest. So, so you've got to know that you are sowing seed into every field in which God has given to you. Haven't you? You've got to know that. Otherwise, you're not going to get a harvest. You don't get a harvest without sowing seed. So you've got to ask yourself, in all the situations in which am I, I am involved, am I sowing seed? And what kind of seed is it? What, what is it that I'm putting into this field? What is it that I'm, I'm giving of myself? You see, because you're all giving seed, aren't you? You know, little storehouses, really. The natural's just a picture of the spiritual. You are all storehouses of seed. That's what you are. So everything that you do is giving seed. You are giving, sowing something into another person's life, whether you understand it or not. That's what you're doing continually. That's what makes life beautiful. When you know that you were a storehouse and you can sow something beautiful into someone's life, my Lord, it transforms your life. Because you realise that your life is having an impact on many other people's lives because now you have the opportunity to give. You have the opportunity to do that which comes naturally to you, which is to give. You are a natural giver. You are a natural sower. That is what you are crying out to do. It's only the flesh that stops you. Giving is the only proof that you have conquered greed. It's the only proof that you've got, giving. So give all the time. Oh, it's beautiful. Life is wonderful. So, eventually the rain comes. First, there's the initial rain. And we all go, oh, wonderful, that's beautiful, that's beautiful. Here comes the rain and we get really excited. I mean, I was amazed to see that outside the, the, the lodge that we have, outside of it, it was, a, it was just dry ground all summer. And then a little bit of rain came, just a little bit. And I looked out, there was, there was grass everywhere. I couldn't believe it. I went, in all the world, that was just a little, a little tapful, if you want. It was half an hour, I think we got, in six weeks or something. And suddenly, it just all sprung up. Beautiful. And I felt like I heard the Lord say, well, wait till the second rain comes. Okay, that's nice. I'm waiting, Lord. But this is what he says. He's, he's trying to encourage us, enthuse us, because we look around and we go, what in all the world's going on? Why is this happening? Why is that happening? How is this happening? And James goes, don't, don't worry. Don't worry. Just understand you've got to wait a little while because God's revealing some things. So, waiting time reveals patience or impatience. Hello. Is it the Lord? <laughs> Don't worry, Martin, we all know it's you. <laughs> I 
Yeah, yeah, thanks, yeah. <laughs> so, faith and patience inherit the promises. So, this is what we say. You can say waiting time reveals patience or impatience. That's what it does. When you have to wait, something is revealed. Patience or impatience. I didn't hear that, but I'm sure it were good. <laughs> Hebrews 6 and verse 12 says this, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So we're to imitate those. I mean, have you read the stories? Oh, my Lord. You're meant to imitate them. Sarah and Abraham had a great wait for the promise of God. You remember, it was 25 years that they waited. But she eventually received the strength to conceive. Um, and I, I put this, I thought, it was, I thought it was pretty good when I wrote it. So. We could say that true faith sees God's hands in all things, regardless of the amount of time it takes or the manner in which he does his work. Let me say it again. We could say that true faith sees God's hands in all things, regardless of the amount of time it takes or the manner in which he does his work. True faith. There's something about faith that actually sees God. Do you understand me? If you've got faith, you see God. You may well see the answer, but you see God. Because that's what faith does. It gives you the ability to see God. True faith is seeing him and knowing the journey of abiding in him. That's what true faith is. It was a test to see if they trusted him. So, waiting time reveals patience or impatience. Waiting time is not wasted time. James 1 and verse 4, this is what he says. He says, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. That's beautiful then. So patience is doing something in you. It's making you complete. It's causing you to grow up somehow. As long as you don't allow it to become... You see, in the way, you can be tested an awful lot and you, begin, you can begin to get bitter, you can begin to get resentful, you begin to get upset with people around you. You understand me? It's going to go one way or another way. Now, which way is it taking you? What's your reaction going to be? What's your response going to be? Because it's going to take you one way or it's going to take you another way. When it takes you the wrong way, what do you do? Do you just sit in it? Or do you actually say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I know that I shouldn't be reacting this way. I'm sorry, Lord, I want to react this way. This is the way that I know that I should be. I shouldn't be upset with people around me. I shouldn't be bitter. I shouldn't be resenting them. I shouldn't be resenting you. I understand there's something in the weight. It's not wasted. I'm becoming mature. It's beautiful when you know these things, isn't it? It just helps in the middle of the weight. I just put here, the tendency is self-pay, isn't it? The tendency while, while waiting is self-pay. Oh, it just swamps us. We feel so sorry for ourselves. 
Okay. Now, I, I put here, bitterness can be devastating because in Hebrews 12 and verse 15, it says that bitterness springs up, just springs up. It's like a weed. I mean, that's the other thing that I've noticed. That we have a little rockery at our place, and we've, we've had Angela's come along and planted some beautiful plants. We've got about 25 different plants and stuff. And they're beautiful, and they've all been showing forth a little bit. And then when I got back there, this time, I look around... And there's these weeds. Where did they come from? Weeds in the garden, just spoiling everything. And annoying as well. But they just sprang up. Well, according to the writer to the Hebrews, he says that bitterness inside you causes something to spring up inside you. And when it springs up inside you, it grows pretty fast. And then when you speak to other people, it's like an infection it's like a bacteria, it's like a virus that, that just, just spreads out and touches loads of people. And you can always tell where bitterness is in, in, the, in the church fellowship because people who are, have not been bitter suddenly get bitter and you wonder why they got bitter. And you know, they sat next to someone who's also bitter. And they talked to them. Because they went out along with them last week. <laughs> it's true, honestly. I remember I used to look out and go, oh no, there's a row of six. They're all upset. A row of six. They, they used to be up front, but now they sit at the back and they're all upset with me. And I have no idea why they're upset. And then I'd find one person and go, I know. It's because they became bitter and resentful about something that I said or did. And now they've infected the friends with it. Wow. It's like an infection. You have to be careful. You have to check yourself. Am I bitter? You know when you're bitter, you know, it's like, you, you taste it back of your throat. Bitterness has got a, a taste to it. It's not nice. So just be careful that you don't become, it says it, says it can spring up and cause trouble. Trouble. And many can become defiled. So you have to be careful with it. Waiting time reveals the real truth. Ah. This is what I've learned about waiting time. Oh, so annoying. Waiting time reveals the real truth about you, about someone around you, or about something. That's what it does. It reveals the real truth. Motives are not easily discerned. Words are real cheap, honestly. I have, I mean, Anchor's laughing at me right now. Because literally, part of my ministry tactics sometimes... It's to slap people. I know it's bad, isn't it? Sometimes it's for healing and sometimes it's just that I can't stand it anymore. <laughs> Why? <laughs> they all understand what I mean. <laughs> what I mean is this. That... That many times, many times, I mean, you can imagine, Kate, you're going to your doctor and, the, and sitting with a doctor and spending 15 minutes and telling the doctor your problem. And then the doctor says, okay, this is the answer. And you get the prescription, you get, you get an instruction, you, you, all you have to do is go next door and get something from the chemist or whatever it is, and off you go. But then you forget to go to the chemist, you sit in the car, think about it, and then you never do anything about it. 
But then you ring the doctor again and go, I need another appointment. So you sit and have another appointment and you tell, you tell the doctor exactly the same problem again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Ten years later and again. And then I say, if you come in front of me once more with this same problem, I am going to slap you. <laughs> and what does that person do? Come again with the exact same problem. That's when they get a slap. Always in love. I kiss them afterwards. But sometimes it actually works. I mean, sometimes it actually does work. So I, I had a gentleman over in Italy now, and I have actually slapped him. <laughs> but he, he came to see me again, and it was very impressive what he said. But it, I realized it was just words. It was still just words. Because words are easy. Words are really easy. You don't have anything until you've become it. Listen to me. You don't have anything until you've become it. It's just a knowledge. I'm sorry, but it is. It's just a knowledge. You can read as many books as you want about Smith Wheels, but you're not Smith. Huh? You're not. You can read all the books you want about whoever you want. But until you actually become it, you are not what you've read. Simple as that. So, now, this is what I, I, I put a couple, of, uh, a couple of examples of what I mean. Because whilst I was in Norway, I had a gentleman, lovely gentleman, lovely, lovely lady who came to me. And they asked me three times if I would go to India. And I kept saying no, because I don't really need anywhere else to go. I don't, I don't need anything else. I, don't, I, I really don't. I don't want a platform. I don't need anything, because what I've got is what I've got. But they came to me and said, well, we want you to come to India. And they kept saying it, and uh, they're wearing me down. And I said to Shasti, Shasti, do you think there's anything in this? And she said, oh, no, who knows? But <laughs> anyway, they came again the fourth time, and I'd said to Shasti, okay, now if they come tonight... What we'll do is we'll give four. I'll say to them, if, if you will do these four things, I'll come. So I knew that one of them they wouldn't do. Well, I, I, was, I, I knew that one of them were really difficult to do. Because it involved money. <laughs> and whenever money's involved, it usually shuts everything down. So, so one, of, one of the things was, okay, if you buy the ticket, I'll come. Along with a nice hotel and all the rest of it. Because I need a nice hotel, I can't help it. It's hard work when I'm out there. So anyway, they came along. We had a beautiful evening, and it came up again. Please, please, please come to India. And I looked at Shasti. I went, okay, let's ask him these four questions. Yes, 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 yes. They answered yes to all of them. And then they went and did it. And I went, okay, fantastic. I'm, I'm going to India. All right, I'm going to India. And then something happened, and... I, something happened in the church there and I had to actually sit down with this couple and tell them that I didn't think for their sakes it was a good idea that I went because of what the pastor had just been saying about me. So something was revealed to me. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go in the end. Didn't go. Waste of money, waste of time, waste of everything. But in the end, it was revealed 
what the problem was. And really why I kept waiting, because I knew there was something, apart from not wanting to go, because I'll go if the Lord says it, but apart from not wanting to go, I knew there's something going on. I'd just have to wait and see. And then when I finally said yes, they got the tickets, all right, then something happened. And I didn't end up going at all. But it revealed something about the situation that I knew was there that just needed to be exposed, and it was exposed. It was really interesting. And then, of course, I had another situation in Norway, which was um, I, I had a gentleman who was looking after a whole stream of churches, new churches in Norway, and he begged me, literally begged me, to be part of the, the leadership team there because they wanted some kind of apostolic voice. And I said, you don't want mine. You don't want mine. Please, you don't want mine. Don't, don't. I tried to talk them out of it, which is what I do, isn't it? I try to talk everyone out of everything. Don't, don't ask me. So anyway, he asked me. I got involved. And then I preached. I heard nothing. I have heard nothing from that man and his wife since that afternoon. I'm glad you're finding this funny. This was like a sword into my soul. <laughs> but, but you understand me. As soon as I preached, they just went, okay, we didn't like that. <laughs> no, and I understand why they don't like it, because I realize you've done well if you sat here. No, it's true. You've done well if you sat here, because this isn't like any other place. It really isn't, because when you go to church normally, you just have a nice time, don't you? When you come here, you put a crash helmet on. <laughs> I know. That's fine. But that's because God is doing something with us that is worthwhile. It's a beautiful thing. But not everyone likes it or can take the cost of it. That's okay. I'm not making any. I'm absolutely fine about it. But, but it revealed to me where they really were. And it was a costly lesson. But this is what I mean, that waiting time reveals the real truth about situations around you. That's, what, that's why time, waiting time is not necessarily bad time. It's good time. I mean, think about Joseph. Joseph waited 13 years for, for his dream to come to fulfillment. 13 years. Can you imagine those 13 years? I know we read it and we go and see it down at the theatre and all that. But this were real. This were real. He actually did get thrown down a pit. He did get forsaken. He did get rejected. He went through all of that and somehow managed to keep his mind and his heart in the right place. How do you do that? Do you... You realise that he was actually a refugee. He was, a, he was an immigrant. He was... He lost his whole family because of the dream that he had. And then you remember, so he's, he's, he's got this gift and it's called Interpretation of Dreams and he's got this incredible dream. And, and the chief baker and the chief butler came to him. You, you remember the, the story, don't you? You remember the song. I won't sing the song to you. But anyway... He, he, you remember what happened? The baker came along and said, you know, I, I dreamt this dream. And he said, he said to Joseph, what does it mean? And Joseph said, it's your day to day, bud. <laughs> he said, in three days, your head's going to be cut off. You shouldn't have told me that dream. <laughs> and then the chief butler came and said, a similar kind of dream. And Joseph said, in three days, Pharaoh is going to lift you up. And you're going to be in the palace again. Remember the story. And then... As Joseph, as the chief butler is going out, Joseph says to him, don't forget me. Don't forget me. 
Whatever you do, don't forget me. Now, you'd have thought the guy would never have forgotten him because he just got out of jail and he just got his whole life prophesied and everything. But what did the guy do? He forgot him. What did, Je- what did Joseph do? He sat another two years in prison. What? Who was that for? Was it for Joseph? Or was it, was it for everybody else? What was the reason that he was waiting? But as he waited... Something began to happen in his own heart, in his own mind. Sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes it's not the right time. Sometimes you just have to wait. You remember that Joseph allowed his brothers to wait as well. It's very interesting what happened to Joseph. If you think about him, Joseph in the beginning, when he was a young boy, he got up there and told him the dream straight out, and he just went, this is it, this is it, this is it, this is it. And they all went, we're going to kill you. So he learned something, didn't he? But he didn't, he didn't do that later. He kept back from telling them the secrets. He went, no, I'm not going to tell them. I'm not going to share who I really am. I'm not going to share what I really know. I'm going to wait to see what God will expose amongst them. And that's what he did. Really interesting. The Bible's incredible because it's full of amazing stories. So, waiting time is not wasted time, but learning time. Okay, so that's learning time. Blessed, this is what it says in Psalm 144 and verse 1. Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers, fingers. Trains my fingers for, that's a nice word, isn't it? My little fingers. Thank you, Lord, for these fingers. <laughs> it's nice. Trains my fingers and my hands for war and for battle. So in the time that David was waiting... He was learning something. If you're learning, you're not losing. If you're learning, you're not losing, are you? If you're learning, but loads of people don't learn. People don't learn when they're waiting. They just get impatient, upset, bitter, resentful, you know, begin to swear at God. That's what they do, isn't it? It's not what you do, though. You go, no, I'm learning something in this moment. It's never wasted time. It's always learning time. Waiting also allows you to gather accurate information about someone or something. That's what it does. It allows you to gather information and research things in a proper way. And this is where a lot of us don't get it. We're not good at this. We don't really understand that we could make the most of this time by learning, by listening, by observing, by researching. Researching is important, isn't it? With a weight, things come to light. The quality of the information you gather determines the quality of your decisions from that moment onwards. That's what it does. And those, those decisions that you make from that moment on, onwards affect the quality of your life and everybody around you. So we have to learn these things. This is what church is about. We have to learn those things. Waiting means this as well, that we realize our relationship as we wait on the Lord we actually realise our relationship. It becomes real. We realise it. We, 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 because we get upset, we get frustrated, it, it draws us to Jesus. It draws us. That's, that's, the, that's the reason that we wait, because it draws us to Jesus. It draws us to God. That's where it's meant to take you. Do you understand me? The frustration is meant to take you to him. The upset is meant to take you to him. Everything is meant to take you to him, and you're meant to share what you were going through. And loads of people still don't do this. 
They do not, and I know, I'm a bloke, but I journey, I journal the journey all the time. Because there's many things. Anchor, is this true? Did I say, sit in the back, of, honestly, I sat in the back of the car, coming up from London, and my ministry trip is not over until I have written absolutely everything that I felt, that I went through, that I saw. All the things that were difficult, all the things that actually affected me. I sat in the back of the car, and that is as much of the part of the ministry as anything else. Because you've got to know that if I come to you, and I'm still upset about something that happened there, you could get that. Do you understand me? Because if you don't get rid of it, if you don't sort it out inside yourself, you bring it and give it to someone else. So you've got to journal the journey. All those frustrations, all those disappointments, all the things that you're feeling, you've actually got to do something with it. And that is, talk to Jesus. And you go, well, I don't find it easy talking to Jesus. All right, well, here's the answer. Get a piece of paper and write it all down. And then, when you've written it all all down, read it off the piece of paper and go, Dear Lord Jesus, this is what I am feeling right now. Oh, really? It's your answer. Just do it. Just do it. Don't even think about it. Just don't, don't go, oh, well, that's rubbish. That's, blah, blah, blah. that's the way you do it. All right, if you like drawing, just draw some pictures then. Do something. Get a big play sand and just make some, build some blocks or do something to get this stuff out. Because otherwise it just sits there. And you're going, oh, God's doing nothing. And God's going, well, actually, you're not doing nothing. You're doing nothing as well. Absolutely nothing. You're doing zilch. So why don't you give it to me? Because that's what you're meant to do. Because this is a relationship. Isn't it? It's a relationship with Jesus. He loves this when we talk to him. I, honestly, part, part of me looks around the church and I go, people say that they've got a relationship with Jesus. I'm not sure about it at all. Honestly, I'm not sure about it. I've got a relationship with Jesus like I've got a relationship with Jeff. Really. It's the same. I laugh and I cry and I tell Jesus the same things that I do with Jeff. We went down to London yesterday. Oh, he didn't show up. I looked at him five hours later. Are you still talking, Jeff? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The truth is that we sit there and we talk about everything. We share everything. We share all the pain. And then, what did we do, Jeff? When we're coming up the road, what did we do? We prayed about it. Yeah. Two blokes in the car praying about everything. Everything that we shared. We didn't just talk about it. We realized that in this little dome of a car where we've just gone, you know, we've joked, we've laughed, we've, we've cried, we've been angry, we've had like 12 hours just talking. We realized that in the dome of this little car, Jesus just heard it all. And we want to pass it all to him. So everything we talked about, all the jokes, all the lad jokes, everything that we talked about, we passed it all to him. Everything. Now, why don't you try it? Because that's a relationship. Do you understand me? That's a relationship. And of course, I know that you do it. But sometimes it just sits inside us and we let it, we let it just brew. We let it just go, don't we? We just let it, we let it carry on until it's a little volcano inside us. And we get upset with everybody else. But we gave it all to Jesus. And do you know what we're talking about? We're talking about waiting. That's what we're talking about most of the time, isn't it? Waiting. Listen, God's not your, he's not your slot machine. 
God's not your slot machine. He's not your DJ who plays your favourite songs for you. He's not. God is a father who loves you. He's a son who loves you. He's a Holy Spirit who wants to get involved in everything that you are going through. Everything. He's not some slot machine. He's not a magic wand. He's a real, real person who loves you, who cares for you, who wants to be in the very midst of it. And believe me, he is in it, but you've got to bring him into it. Everywhere. You've got to bring him into all the, all the places that you think that he isn't. You've got to bring him into the darkness, into the shadows, into the cracks, into the places where there's a, a, a brick missing. You've got to bring him into all those places. He is there, but you've got to bring him into it. That's what you've got to do. It works, believe me. It works. He's the Father who loves you. Waiting means that we realise this relationship. Waiting increases your strength. Nearly finished. Listen to this. Isaiah 40, verse 27. Why do you complain? Put your name in there. Because you might not be called Jacob. Why do you complain? Why do you say, put your name in there. My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. And he will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding, no one can fathom. We can't fathom it. We don't get it. It's deep. He's God. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths. This is good, isn't it? Any young ones amongst us? Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. And they will run and not grow weary and they will walk and not be faint. So what does he do? He gives us strength. Now listen, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're feeling weary. I don't know if you're feeling tired. But this says that he gives you strength. There's two words in here, isn't there, that we have to act on. One is that God gives you strength. So God doesn't pray about giving you strength. God just gives you strength, all right? You don't need to pray about it. The anointing gives you something. So God gives you strength. So, so anyone that's tired and weary, we're just going to give strength to you, all right? Those that feel the strength of the Lord are going to give strength to you because you need strength. But the other thing is, it says hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. What does it say? But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. So, one, we can pray, but two, you can hope in the Lord. And I just, just to finish with, let's just read this one. Um, it is Psalm 42. This is God's, God's antidote against depression and disappointment. Right here. Psalm 42. This is what he says. As the deer pants for the water brooks, 
So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? That's what happens when we're waiting. We get that question, where is your God? Where is God? The devil comes along and goes, where is God? You say that you believe in God, where is God? He hasn't turned up, he's failed you. And, 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 and the trouble is that David's talking about people in the congregation that are saying this to him. They say, my tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. How do you pour out your soul? How do you pour out your soul? Yeah, you write it all down, you speak it all out, you give it all to God, you pour out your soul. David knew how to pour out his soul. He's, he's given us an antidote for depression and disappointment. What are you going to do when you feel these things? You're going to pour out your soul to God. So... He says, I poured out my soul within me, for I used to go to the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? So he's feeling deeply, uh, deeply depressed, actually, you could say, couldn't you? And why are you so disquieted within me? Hope in God. So he's speaking to himself. He's going, you will hope in God. This soul, all these feelings, everything, as I give it out, as I pour it out, you are going to hope in God again. You have to say it to yourself. You're going to hope in God again. You're going to remember. And then he goes on, he says, Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan. Where's he going now? He's going back to all the promises. The land of Jordan. He's going to the heights of the mountain. He's going, Lord, I'm going to remember all the good things that you've done. I'm going to recall the things that you have done for me all my life. I'm going to recall the way in which you have clothed me, the way in which you've provided for me, the way in which you've talked to me, the way in which you've looked after me. I'm going to remind myself about those things. This is how you keep yourself from going into depression. Really, this is it. Isn't it a beautiful, beautiful psalm? Do you, do you realise that David had more reason than any man and woman to be depressed? If you think about his life, my Lord, what God had said to him and done in his life and the way that he was laughed at and rejected and all sorts of things. But he's reminding himself because he's feeling down. Yeah, David's feeling down. The big mighty warrior, the man of God, the, the apple of his eye is feeling down and depressed. And now he's saying, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. That's what it feels like, doesn't it? The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Isn't it beautiful? He's reminding himself of the goodness of God. Speaking it over his own life. Sometimes other people won't speak it over. You've got to speak it over yourself. You've got to stand in the mirror and speak it over yourself. I remember, Lord, all your beautiful things that you've done for me. I remember it. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Did you see? He didn't go. I'd, he's going, why have you forgotten me? I feel like you've forgotten me. The feelings inside me go, you've forgotten me. He's not going, I'm not going to tell God. He's going, why have you forgotten me? That's what it feels like. It feels like you've forgotten me. It feels like you've left me. Why have you done this, Lord? God can take it. Do you understand me? He's God. He can take it. Be honest. Wear it on your sleeve. Do you understand me? Tell him what you really feel like. Tell him what's going on. Because he wants to know. 
You see, we all want to run to the front and get prayed and, oh, do something, a little magical one. No, no, I'm sorry. You were far more complicated than that. You have got to give this stuff away to God. My, uh, what does he say? And we know, we know that at this moment he's actually prophesying about Jesus. Why do I go mourning because the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So, this is what we're going to do. I don't know quite how we're going to do it. Uh, but anyone that's feeling tired and weary, we want to pray for you, okay? I want to pray for you. And by praying for you, I mean I'm just going to release strength to you because the presence of Jesus is here. We're going to release strength to you because he says that he gives you strength. We're not going to release loads of other stuff. We're just going to release strength. And then at the same time that we do that, you are going to stand and go, I am going to hope in my God. I understand what that means. I am going to pour out my soul, maybe not here, but I'm going to pour out my soul to the Lord in any way that you can do it. And I'm going to hope in God. For yeah, I'm going to praise him. See his countenance. Amen? Is that good? Okay. I don't quite know what to do. Anyone got any thoughts about it? Okay. Tired and weary people, there. Just stand there and let's, let's pray. Tired and weary people, there. Tired and weary? Anyone feeling tired and weary? Thank you, Lord. Now, I, I want, as it were, for, the, for, the, for, the, for everybody else, I, I want you to see it like a laser. I want you to see your prayers like a laser. Yeah? See your prayers like a laser. Just entering into the lives of all these beautiful people who you can see are struggling. All right? And begin to speak strength. Amen. Is there anyone else? Did you want to share something? Come, come, and, come and pray as well. Come on. Any, 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 let, let's just stand up together. And, and everyone that's here, you just put your arms out like this and just thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we want to thank you, Father, that you love us so incredibly much. So incredibly much, Lord. And Lord, we're your kids, the Father. We're your kids. And these beautiful ones are your Lord, and we say that the beautiful Lord. Lord, there are beautiful brothers and sisters, and we want to tell you that, Lord. And Father, we want to, we want to bear, as it were, their burdens before you this morning, Father. We want to lift their arms, Lord, and Lift the weights from them, Father. But Lord, all, all, the, all the disappointment, Father, all the sense of uh, depression, Father, that's tried to sit upon them, Father, Lord, all these things have sat there. Lord, we just offer them to you right now, Father. We say we don't want them anymore, Lord. And we all, as brothers and sisters, just lift, hold the hands up high, Father. And we just want to lift these things, Father, these heavy burdens to you, Lord. We don't know what they are, Lord, but you know what they are, Father. And we want to lift them up right now, Father, in the name of Jesus. 
And you have said, Father, you have said in that psalm that I read, Father, you have said that you will increase strength, Lord. Increase power, Father. That you give to them, Father, that which they need right now, Father. And we agree, Father, all our prayers together right now, Father, everyone in this house, Lord, we agree, Father, for strength to come, Father. From your presence, Lord, from your heart, Father, deep into our brothers' and sisters' lives right now in the name of Jesus, Father. And we give them it, Father. We give them it in Jesus' name, Father. We give them strength, Lord, and we say increase strength in them, Father. Give power to them, Father. Strengthen those legs, Father, those weary legs, Father. Strengthen them in the name of Jesus, Father. Cause strength and increase and power, Father, within each one, Father, right now, Lord, in Jesus' name, Lord. And we want to thank you, Father. We want to thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you. Thank you, Father. We thank you so much, Lord. Thank you, Father. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that everyone in this house, Lord, would learn how to give you the things that are inside them, Father. How to share these things, like David did, Lord. How to share the heavy things, the feelings, Father, the things that were suppressed inside them, Father. Lord, I pray that you would show them how to share those things with you, Lord. And that they would have a revolution in their lives, Father, as they begin to do that, Father. That they would feel, Lord, that your life, as you give them all the things that they write and speak to you, Lord, that you would just fill them with your strength and your peace, Lord, and your grace. And we thank you so much for them, Lord. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, Lord. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, Lord. Thank you, Father.